Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of What the Dementia by Bamboo Care. I'm your host, Brianna Wilson. I'm a certified dementia practitioner and the founder of Bamboo Care. So today, we're going to talk about the importance of identifying triggers to sexual behaviors with a focus on seemingly sexual behaviors that may not actually be sexual at all, or at least in the way that you may be thinking. So as a disclaimer, I'll obviously be using the word sexual. I may say private, genitals, boobs, but I don't know. We'll see what words come out, but it's a podcast about sexual behaviors. So listener discretion is advised, okay? Now the topic of sexual behaviors, or what some may label as inappropriate sexual behaviors, is a very deep topic with so many nuances. And so I wanted to acknowledge that. And so if this topic were a whole piece of pie, we are literally just covering a very thin, thin slice, okay? We aren't covering the whole pie. Before we get started, if you do like the What the Dementia podcast, please be sure to give us a good rating to help other dementia care partners find our podcast. It would be super helpful and much appreciated. And if you would like to keep up with us between episodes, consider following us on Instagram at Let's Bamboo or joining us in our free support community at letsbamboo.com slash champions, okay? Now, the reason that I wanted to discuss this topic is because I've noticed that people are very quick to put people with dementia on medications for expressing themselves sexually or for things that may be perceived as sexual but really may not be. And not a lot of effort is often put into figuring out the trigger, which can be helpful in modifying the behavior or at least in adapting the environment so that sexual expression can happen in a way that is more agreeably appropriate, okay? So why is this important? Well, the reality is more people with dementia actually report a reduction in sexual drive, we call this sexual apathy, than an actual increase in libido or increase in sexual drive. And when we actually look at why some people with dementia may seemingly express more sexual interest, it's actually most often due to disinhibition from frontal lobe damage. So the person's sexual drive may not have actually changed. Their interest in men and or women may not have changed. What they like sexually may not have changed, but what has changed is their ability to inhibit what may be considered sexually inappropriate behavior. So knowing this, there's one main thing that we want to think about, and that is what may be triggering the behavior. What is making them act on an impulse, whether the intention is sexual or not so sexual? So this is going to be more of a food for thought type of episode where I'm going to give you two scenarios and some things to consider and ideas for what you can do. So one of the scenarios will be an example of a situation that may have a sexual influence and the other scenario will be an example of a situation that may seem sexually influenced but may not actually be, okay? And also in the podcast notes, I'm going to link an episode where we discussed butt touching, okay? So let's say that John is a 67-year-old male with dementia whose wife passed away six years ago. His primary caretaker is his 40-year-old daughter, Jane. 
and Jane has found caring for her father increasingly difficult because her father often flirts with her and attempts to touch her inappropriately. And she's beginning to feel creeped out and no longer feels comfortable when helping with hygiene tasks like dressing, toileting, and bathing because this is when she notices an increase in these challenging behaviors. So given this scenario, what may be going on here? So let me give you one possibility, and just as a little warning, this could be sensitive or triggering for some people, so just keep that in mind. So if you have a child, raise your hand if you think that the child's other parent, so their father or mother, is physically attractive. Raise your hand if you like certain aspects of the personality of your child's other parent. For many of you, the answer is going to be yes. That's probably one of the reasons the child ended up here, right? Now, raise your hand if you find yourself attractive and if there are things about your personality that you like. Now, this may be a harder question for you to answer because we do tend to be more critical with ourselves and spend much of our lives trying to appreciate and love ourselves for who we are and how we look, right? It's just one of those complexes that many of us go through as humans, okay? But for some of you, the answer is going to be yes, I do find myself attractive. Yes, I do like certain things about my personality. But now I want you to consider if your child looks like you or their other parent or has a personality similar to you or the other parent. The answer is usually, yep, they remind me of their father or mother when they were younger, or they remind me of myself, or, you know, they're a pretty good mix of both of us. Now, when our memory is fully intact, and when our ability to control our inhibitions are intact, we can appropriately identify, place, and remember the relationships and roles of certain people in our lives. But what happens if we lose our memory and aren't able to appropriately identify and place a person on our relationship chart? Well, oftentimes we will end up relying on what our senses are telling us. Hmm, that person looks like someone familiar. I like the way they look. I can tell I feel close to this person. I like being around this person and they make me feel safe. They're always around. That's my wife. So because adult children often look like how significant others looked when they were younger, it's easy for people with dementia to mistake them for their significant other. So this is one possibility for why Jane may be experiencing what she's experiencing. The other is simply that John finds Jane attractive but does not realize that she's his daughter. Or if he does, he may not be able to control his inhibitions or impulses as well. So now that we understand this, what can Jane do? Because even though we know this, it's still important that we feel safe and respected, right? So Jane could set boundaries with her dad and let him know when it happens, John. I'm your daughter, Jane. I know I look like your wife, Kathy, but I'm not. It really makes me uncomfortable when you say things like that and try to touch me. Please don't do that. 
your wife is not here right now. I'm going to help you with your shower, and then we can go eat breakfast, okay? And then move on with the task if she feels comfortable. Now, in the moment, if the person understands, they may respect that, at least briefly. But if memory is a challenge, you may start feeling like a broken record throughout the day, every day, which is fine, but it can be exhausting. But if this is something that you are comfortable with, then okay, right? Now, my next suggestion won't be an option for everyone, and I do realize that, but when these types of situations happen, and it feels like no matter what you say or do, the person is persistent in saying inappropriate things or touching you in inappropriate ways, it's helpful to recruit someone of the less sexually desired sex or just someone less sexually desired in general, which sometimes that can be different or the same, right? And have them come over to help with the tasks that are most challenging for you to do with that person and feel safe. Now, let's do another scenario, but this time it will be a seemingly sexually driven scenario that may not actually be coming from a sexual place. So let's say Judy is a 75-year-old female with dementia who recently started touching and rubbing her genitals while sitting on the couch in the living room. Sometimes she does this on the outside of her pants, and other times she reaches into her pants. Sometimes she makes noises and faces while doing this, and the duration varies. She will stop on her own, but is often non-responsive to her family's attempts to stop and scold her. Her family is becoming concerned about what they view as public masturbation. So what may be going on here? So let me ask you a question. If you were a little impulsive, less aware of your surroundings, less mobile, and unable to communicate your needs well, and your private area started itching, what would you do? I'll give you a few seconds to think about it and play out the scenario in your head. What are you going to do if your private area starts itching? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. I would try to adjust myself and seek relief because it's uncomfortable. And I may make sounds doing it because it's unpleasant. And I'm sure you don't need the visual, right? But that's why I suggested you think about yourself in the scenario and what you would do. So sometimes when we see people with dementia rubbing or fidgeting with their genitals, it's not because they are sexually aroused but rather because something down below is uncomfortable and they are seeking relief. So here are some common causes. So the person may have a UTI, a urinary tract infection, which can cause itching or burning-like sensations or the sensation of needing to pee. They may just need to pee and don't have a UTI at all. Their pubic hair may be uncomfortable. Those who know, know, right? A man's balls or penis may be situated in a way that's uncomfortable and they are trying to adjust themselves. There may be a nick on their privates from zippers or for women an abrasion from wiping too hard and it's uncomfortable. A person's underwear may be uncomfortable 
or their pants may be too tight. So if a person is a little bit more impulsive, less mobile, unable to communicate their needs, so forth and so on, the person may try to fix their own issue. And that may look like rubbing or fidgeting with their genitals, okay? So we want to make sure that we're ruling these types of things out. And one way that we can do this is by asking a nonchalant question like, is something uncomfortable down there? While pointing to what they're doing. It's non-confrontational and gives them the opportunity to respond. They may just look at you and not respond at all. If this is the case, you can ask for their help with something in the bathroom and then see if they will take the opportunity to pee while in there. You may want to get them tested for a UTI. If they are able to adequately express their discomfort after being prompted, you may consider asking for their permission to do an inspection so that you can see if there's anything visibly wrong or set up an appointment with a gynecologist or urologist. The point is consider alternatives, okay? But with that being said, let me say this. Even if the person is actually masturbating, please do not scold or shame the person. If you walk in on the person, don't say anything and just give them their privacy. Come back later. If they start and you are already in the room, you can say, I see you are a little busy. I'll be back in a few minutes to check on you, okay? If there are other people in the room or you are out in public, don't bring attention to it. Just simply distract them and shift their attention to something else. For example, you can hand them something to hold on to that would require two hands, preferably something washable or wipeable, right? And say something like, hey mom, can you hold this for me? I was thinking we could fill in the blank. You may even have to gently but firmly tap their arm to get them to shift their attention from what they're doing to what you are saying. Now, why would we want to hand them something? Well, if their hands are preoccupied, they can't use them to touch themselves, right? Now, I know those listening to this episode have different personal cultural and religious beliefs when it comes to these types of things, and that's fine. It's your choice on how you want to handle it, but these are my suggestions from a neutral perspective, okay? So next time your partner does something that may be considered sexually inappropriate, handle it the best way that you can in the moment, but then I really want you to take a step back and think, what may have triggered them to do that? Is it something I did or said? Was it how I was standing? Were they uncomfortable down there? Did they see something that stimulated them? Did they find the person attractive and weren't able to control their inhibitions? Did they think they were somewhere with privacy? Knowing the why or the what can help us in figuring out better ways to adapt our behavior redirect and distract them, or adapt the environment for better outcomes. And keep in mind, better outcomes doesn't mean trying to stop the expression of sexuality, but rather to provide an environment where everyone feels safe. Okay? 
So there's definitely more I could say on this topic, but I think we're going to end it here for today. I hope that you found this podcast episode informative and helpful. Again, if you do find our podcast helpful, please consider leaving us a review to help others find the podcast. If anyone has any questions, comments, or future podcast requests, remember you can always send us an email at podcast at whatthedementia.com. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of What the Dementia by Bamboo Care. We look forward to catching you on the next episode. Take care, and until next time, stay strong, care on, and remember, you are not alone. Bamboo Care is always here.